Texas, you say, uh, you say God bless Texas, they're going to come out of their seats. I don't care if you're in Fort Worth, Dallas, doesn't matter where you are. Texans love Texas. They all get excited now, holler and scream and say, God bless Texas, and they'll get excited. I finally get them to sit back down. So, well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you love Texas. I said, now, personally, I'm an Okie. And the greatest thing about being an Okie is whipping a Texan. <laughs> and that's what we think about you. said, you're number one on our list. If, if we don't win a football game all season, we whip Texas. There's a God in heaven. He loves us. So God bless Texas. They don't know what to think about that, but I do say it all the time. Now, as Pastor Pat has said, I teach on the family. been doing this, uh, he's what, 25 years, 26 years. Uh, I was an engineer for years, worked in the electrical industry, three different companies for about 12 years. God called us in the ministry, so I quit my job, moved to Bible school. Took three years to get to a two-year Bible school. I moved real slow. And then uh, went to Oral Roberts University and got a master's degree in education because I had to. They made me. And I tell people at times, you like school? I hate school. I never did like school. Uh, only reason I went to school was uh, play football and wrestle and baseball and find a date and go hang out with somebody. And so the sooner I got out of school, the better it would be. But once I got out of school, I realized they only pay you for two things on this planet. They pay for what you know or what you can do. And based on my paycheck, I did not know anything, nor could I do anything. So I decided I better get back in school. So I spent seven years in night school trying to get a degree. And so uh, and then when I was uh, on staff of the church, they put me in charge of a Christian school. And I didn't like Christian school. Never have liked it. Never been to one. And so, uh, but I'm in charge of one. And that's, um, that's where my paycheck comes from. So I thought, well, if we're going to have a school, we need to get it accredited. So we joined an accrediting organization. Took three years to get through it. And so a lot of competition. And so we met uh, every year at the a national finals uh, competition for our Christian schools, not only in the United States, but around the world. And they credit people all around the world, so we'd have a big competition. So uh, they gave away three awards for that competition every year, the best athletic school in the world, best uh, uh, academic school in the world, and the best arts and drama school. So I thought, well, people are paying paychecks to come to this Christian school, and they want it to be a good academic school. So I thought, let's go for that one. And it was the smallest trophy they gave away. So I talked to the guy. Uh, the first day we were there, just asked the question, how come the academic trophy is the smallest one? He said, Dr. Dr. David Hand of All Roberts University, he said, I don't know. He said, well, could you make it the same size as the other? And he said, yes, I can. So the next year he made it the same size. And then three years later, we won that trophy, and we, we held it for five years. So we were the number one academic school in the United States for five years. And we put it on our brochure. And so a lot of competition in town where I was at. A guy called me up from a very large church. He said, can we go to lunch? I said, sure. He said, we got your brochure in the mail. Because they're another Christian school, a big one, a big, big one. He said, uh, we noticed your brochure. said, you are the number one academic school in the United States. I said, yes, I am. He said, where? I said, the Oral Roberts University Educational Fellowship. He said, well, there's several organizations. There's seven. The federal government recognizes seven organizations that accredit public schools or Christian schools. There's only said the, the federal government does not accredit a school. They recognize people who do accredit schools. Like in my state of Oklahoma, public schools lose their accreditation every year. We had about a half a dozen last year. Public schools still there. Kids still get on the bus and go there. Are they good? No, they're not accredited anymore. They're not good. <laughs> they drop below the radar. So they're having to work on it. So anyhow, he said, well, you say you're number one. I said, I am. You were there. I won that thing. And uh, then the competition was on. So we held it for five years, and that big school finally took it away from us in year six. But people ask us, how did you become the number one academic school? I said, well, I'm really not an educator. Uh, I don't like ignorance, but I'm not an educator. I, I'm a motivator. I know how to motivate people. 
And so I realized we need to get on the radar. So uh, I told a lot of our kids, we're going to give away letter jackets for uh, trigonometry and algebra and English and French and drama. If we taught it, we got a letter jacket. Because I went to school, the only guys that wore a letter jacket were the football players, the baseball players, the wrestlers, the band people, and the cheerleaders. Everybody else is a doofus. But when you got in the real world, you realize uh, uh, <laughs> the doofus is the ones that gave us jobs. Because they'd been studying, we'd been playing. And so I thought, man, we gotta, we got to reverse this thing. So we did. So going through the process of all this, and I got saved early and got filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, when God called us in the ministry, I thought, you know, the church is just like the world. Uh, we, sometimes we're, we're, uh, God said, my people, my people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's just ignorance. And so we, we would do counseling all week at this big church I was at. And, uh, and so marriage and parenting and men and money. And, uh, and I realized when they would come in, now these are our people, born again, spirit-filled, tithers, go to our church, go on mission trips. And I never dealt with the world. I'm just dealing with our people. And, man, we are messed up. I said, we are one ignorant bunch of people. So I thought, we need to start a class or something. So we started a class on Sunday evening. You had to really want to be there because we had three Sunday morning services. And we began to ask questions. These are our people. And, and uh, they would ask some of the dumbest questions I've ever heard. I said, you, y'all ever read the book? You know, we, 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 we came with a book. <laughs> you know? Now, I've told this story so many times. When I was an engineer in Sykes, Missouri, we bought a brand-new big rod breakdown machine, big old thing, and... Uh, Feeds the whole plant. It was the old plant been vacant. They built airplanes in World War II in this plant, and uh, it had been shut down for years. We moved our company from Jewish City, Connecticut, all the way to Middle America, trying to find better labor for us, and we did. So we bought this old, empty plant, and we moved all our stuff in. Well, you know, the floor's old, the concrete's old, so we had to keep repairing the concrete. So we bought this big rod breakdown machine that fed the entire plant. Well, uh, when we got it, we just bolted it to the floor and plugged it up and turned it on. Because uh, men don't read books. We don't like books. And so it came with a big instruction manual, but nobody read it. So we've had it a few weeks, and so I got a call about 2 o'clock in the morning. Joe, can you come down here? The big rod breakdown machine is not working. And so I lived out in the country. I said, well, have you done this? Yeah, have you done this? Yeah. Have you tried that? Yeah, it's not working. Okay, I'll be done in about 20 minutes. So I get dressed about 2 o'clock in the morning in July. It's hot. It sits at the back of the plant. Big old doors open. So I walked in. So I'm asking the question again. Have you done? And then the plant manager's there. The plant supervisor's there. The ball showed up. And and so everybody's trying to do stuff, and they're hitting stuff and pushing stuff. So finally I said, uh, where's the manual? And they said, the what? Uh, it, the big machine, it came with the manual. Where's the manual? Where's the, where's the handbook that the machine came with? Because you go to Sears, you buy a, a lawnmower, it comes with a handbook. You go to Ford, you buy a pickup, it comes with a handbook. You go to Singer, buy a sewing machine, it comes with a handbook. Everything comes with a handbook. Uh, this had to come with a handbook. So they said, well, they didn't know. So it took us 30 minutes to find it. It was wrapped in plastic in a bottom drawer of the foreman's office. They hadn't even opened it. So I opened up the handbook, and I'm out there, and it's about 2.30 in the morning. So I go to the back of the handbook, because every handbook has a section called troubleshooting. And so I go to the back. Now, I'm the engineer. They think I'm doing algebraic equations in my mind. No, I'm tired. I want to go home and go back to bed. So I'm going to the troubleshooting section, I'm trying to read. Have you done this? Have you done this? Somewhere around number three or number four, it said, is machine plugged in? I'm not making this up. You can't make this up. So I closed. They don't know what I read. So I go look at this big machine. It's about, I don't know, about 30 foot long, about 12 foot high, 18 foot deep. It's in the back corner of this old plant. So I'm looking down the back now, and they don't know what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the big 220 plug somewhere. It, 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 it's a 44 machine, but it's got two big plugs that feed this thing. I'm looking. I don't see a plug. I see tobacco spit and coffee cups and trash. 
So I'm real I'm skinny back then. So I turned sideways in that back that I eased down that wall. I looked down the back of that machine, sure enough, I saw that plug hanging halfway out of the wall. It had vibrated back out of the wall. So I eased down, nobody can see me. I eased down, I get down to it, and I kick it in, and when I kicked it in, the machine came on. They're yelling, hey Joe, it's working, you fixed it, hey Joe. And I can hear him hollering, I say, okay, okay. Well, it took about 30 seconds to get out, and they all patted me on the back, and hey Joe, we appreciate it. I said, yeah, I said, if it tears up again, call me. Because you don't tell grown people at 2.30 in the morning, hey, stupid, did you not check the plug? So the next morning I came to work, and Charlie McVale is the uh, big plant CEO, and he liked me, and he's from Michigan. Played football for Michigan State. And so he called me in the office, Joe, really appreciate you fixing that machine last night. And I said, yes, sir. So he sat behind his desk, got a big table in front of him, he's got his yellow pad out, and he said, is it going to happen again? I said, yes, sir. He throws his pencil up, doggone it, do we need to call the manufacturers? No, it's not the manufacturer's problem. It was our fault. He said, what was wrong? I said, it was unplugged. And he just stared at me a minute. He said, because uh, I worked on commission, he said, did you charge us for that? Sure, I've already turned the, the thing into the counting. <laughs> That's an expensive plug. And he just stared at me, and he grinned. I said, listen, I bet you I'll never have to plug that up again because uh, you're going to change the receptacle because we had old receptacles. I bet you I'll never have to do that again, but I'm going to bill you for this. I said, You're, the, the operator could have checked the plug, and, and the foreman could have checked the plug, and the supervisor could have checked the plug, but they didn't. I checked the plug because I read the book. They could have read the book. You paid me to read the book, and I'm a very expensive reader. And I made a lot of money that week. It was incredible. So when we start teaching them family, here's what I'm going to do. It's real simple this morning. I'm going to give you something. It's written in Genesis uh, I thought when I started teaching a family, all these questions were coming at me. Now, I've been to school. You know, I got my degree in theology. I got a, I'm an engineer. So they're asking questions. I thought, well, I don't know. Let's just go back to the book. So I figured, let's go to the where it started in Genesis. So I started reading Genesis, and I found the first family. I found out where everything went south. So I realized that Adam, God looked down here. He made everything, you know, six days of creation. The rest of it on the seventh. He finally makes man. And finally, God is looking at everything. And he said in Genesis 3, he said, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. By the way, he's not changed his mind. He still thinks the same thing. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. Now, the first half of that word is hell. <laughs> you got to get the purr in there. I'm going to make some help for him. No, a helper. And so he's going to make it. So he made Eve. It's not Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. Because Adam needed help. If God had made another Adam, now they both need help. That wouldn't have fixed anything. <laughs> so he made something different. He made a woman. He made a female. And if you've ever checked it out in the library, you can go research this. Uh, females are better than men. Uh, they have a better immune system. The average woman in our country will outlive the average man by seven years. She has a bigger vocabulary. Uh, average man speaks about 12,000 words a day. Average woman speaks about 30,000 words a day. She's going to win an argument every time. That's why in domestic violence, 84% of the time, it's a man hitting a woman, not a woman hitting a man. It's not because he's stronger. It's because he ran out of words. <laughs> and so this is just all common sense stuff. So, so I'm back to the first family. So there's uh, God looks, it's not good for you to be alone. So we had Adam lay down and take a nap. He removed a rib from his side, and he, he built a woman. The, God, the Bible says in Hebrew, God made man, but he built a woman. That's why we say women are built. Boy, she's built. 
It's Hebrew. I'm not being funny. I'm being truth. I'm trying to help. If she wasn't built, men wouldn't look. That's deep, isn't it? So he built it. So Adam wakes up, and there's Eve. He thinks, whoa. He liked what he saw. I think they went off to walk for a walk that day. They didn't feed the camels or milk the cows. They just started talking. Hey, hey, how you doing? How you doing? What's that? I don't know. What's that? They started asking a lot of questions, and they figured it out. That was deep, wasn't it? Now, I teach on marriage four basic things, communication, money, sex, and children. That's the four reasons people get divorced. So I that's why we're ignorant. God said, my people destroy for lack of knowledge. So I teach that in our marriage seminar. So, so I tell people there, there were no books on the shelf, and Adam and Eve figured out what they needed to do. I remember when I was first a Christian trying to teach on marriage, I tried to find a bookstore. I said, you got anything on sex? I said, what? Christian books on sex. Nope. Really? Okay, I'll be back. Well, now if you go to a bookstore, you ask any Christian bookstore in America, you got any books on sex? I'll be aisle two, aisle three, and aisle four. I said, how do we make something so simple, so complicated? Adam, you didn't have a book. They figured it out. We, we, we just made a God out of something that wasn't supposed to be. Be a God, you know. God just says, "Be real natural." So Adam and Eve are doing great; everything's fine. The weather's perfect; clothes are free; food's cheap. Well, Satan had been kicked out of heaven. He's been fired from his job. The anointed cherub that covereth. He was the mighty archangel of all archangels. And one day he got a stupid thought, according to Isaiah, and he took the angels, went to the angelic union hall, and he said, "Boys, I think I can take this old man," referring to God. And so, so they said. Well, the Bible says one-third of the stupid angels stood up and said, we think you can too. So one-third of the stupid angels, that by the way, there's so many angels, the Bible says you can't count them. They're innumerable. One-third of the stupid angels followed Lucifer out of the angelic union hall and tried to remove God from his throne. And that's when they asked Jesus, have you ever seen the devil? And Jesus said, yes. They said, what did he look like? He looked like a lightning bolt coming out of heaven. He got fired from his job. Because God did not make the earth void and without form, Genesis 1. God makes nothing void and without form. What happened to the earth? Satan came down and just tore the place up. He's mad. He's lost his authority. He's lost his job. He still has his gifts. Ezekiel 28 says Lucifer has four gifts. He's full of wisdom, perfect beauty, charge of wealth, and charge of music. He kept his gifts. He doesn't use his gifts to serve Christ anymore. He uses his gifts to confuse man. So we start chasing him. He's perfect in beauty. Everybody's worried about their looks. Guys, you're going back to dust anyhow. Don't spend that much time in front of the mirror. It's just not that big a deal. Everybody's trying to impress them about how much money they have. Listen, you need money to live, but it's not that big a deal. Don't make a God out of it. People are big into music. You know, everybody's got their music turned up so loud. I can't get it a stop sign anywhere in my city. Pull up. Windows are up. It's wintertime. And you can hear it right now. <laughs> I said, can you not hear that? Is he deaf? But I don't know what's in it, but he's just into it. You know, it's like music's powerful. Uh, Lucifer knows that. And so why? Because you remember what you sing. That's why Bible, God told Abraham and Isaac, told Jacob, he told Moses, he said, teach them this song. When they cross, when they cross the Jordan River, teach them this song that they'll remember what I did. You remember what you sing. We learned our ABCs in elementary school. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you remember. So don't sing stupid because you're going to remember what you sing. Sing to yourself in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody. God's told us how to live successfully on this planet, but people are just messed up. 
And so I'm the only minister in my family. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters. My father-in-law had 12 brothers and sisters. I'm the only minister in that bunch. So I do all the funerals and weddings for free. And I'm not being funny. I'm just being truthful. I'll marry you, bury you. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a heathen going to hell. I don't care what denomination. I'll marry you, and I will bury you because I want an opportunity to talk to you. So I do all that for free. And so I've been in some wild stuff. And so uh, anyhow, there's too many stories attached to that. So we're going back to the first family. So Satan shows up, and he talks to Adam and Eve, and he challenges the word of God. The only weapon the devil has is challenge this. He challenged what God said. Are you sure God said? Are you sure God, well, God said it. Well, maybe God lied. God can't lie. He's, he's, he's unable to lie. God's truth all the way, all the time. And so he got him to think, well, maybe God lied. Maybe, maybe you need to be like God. You need to take over. And so they bit into that apple, whether it was an apple or not, but they sinned. And when they sinned, the blindness were removed, and they realized, oh, man, we're naked. Well, they'd been naked the whole time. They just didn't know they were naked. So they ran down to J.C. Penney's, bought some clothes, and got themselves dressed. So God comes walking down like he did every day. He's going to visit with them. He visits Adam every day. So he walks through the garden. He's, he knows where they're at, but he calls, Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam, I said, I'm over here. He said, what are you doing? Adam said, I was hiding. And God asked him. Now, he knows what he's going to He's trying to get him to can repent, but he won't do it. He said, I was hiding. He said, why are you hiding? He says, I was naked. God said, who told you you were naked? So Adam, he doesn't say anything. He's thinking. And God said, did you eat that fruit I told you not to eat? And Adam's thinking, well, well, it was the woman you gave me. It was the woman, God, me and you. It was tight. It was paradise. It was great. Ever since you brought that woman in my life, it's been going downhill. Now, that's a, that's the New Living Translation. It's a little different. So, and so the first marriage, the man blamed the woman. Which one of you married? Her. So God came to her and said, what's your story? She's thinking, man's dumped on me again. He's dumped on me again. She's thinking, well, well, snake's fault, snake's fault. And she blamed the snake. From the very beginning, nobody will take responsibility for themselves. Now, my fault, if it weren't for them, 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 I'd be fine. My daddy's fault, my mommy's fault, my brother's fault, my boss's fault, the government's fault, the Democrats' fault, the Republicans' fault. It's their fault. I'm fine. And that's the way the world is. And what you realize, God said the truth. He said, many are called and few are chosen. God questioned several times throughout history. When I come to earth, am I going to find any faith? Is anybody trusting me or anybody trusting their own flesh or trusting some human? You know, we are the salt and light of our planet. We're the salt and light of our country. Are you concerned about America? Not one bit, not as long as I'm here. I pray for my president every day. Every president we've ever had, whether I voted for him or not, I pray for my president every day. Because Timothy promised, if you'll pray for those in authority, you will live a quiet and peaceful life and all God is not us. I like to live a nice, quiet and peaceful life. What are you going to do? How do you get that? Pray for those in authority. And people, I don't have any bumper stickers on my truck. I don't sing stupid songs like take this job and shove it. I ain't working there no more. I need my job. I don't want to shove my job. The Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. That's why you need to be in a good local church, listen to your pastor, hanging out with the saints. There are no perfect people. They don't exist. And so when we started that process, I thought, well, after Adam and Eve got fired, you, know, you got all the way down, and they got fired from the job, evicted from the house, kids started killing each other. The first family went south. Why? Sin kills. It has death attached to it. 
Uh, your enemy's not your in-laws, your boss. The enemy sin. That's why you need to repent quick and forgive quick. I said, if you're not repenting and forgiving on a regular basis, you will get what we call spiritually constipated. You're stopped up. Nothing's moving. You don't feel good. You don't sound good. You don't smell good. You need a good bowel movement. You're full of stuff. And every family member I've ever dealt with, once their mouth opens, you hear more stuff. Man, I never heard so much stuff in all my life. That's a lot of stuff. You must be really full of stuff because you don't have God in you. you got the world in you. Until you get God in you, nothing's going to change. So you go down through, we all the way down to Noah and the flood. You know, God drowned everybody. And the boat landed and they repopulated. Then you get down to the Tower of Babel. Uh, got Nimrod. He's going to build a tower to heaven. He's going to be God himself. So God confuses the languages. They scatter again. And we're coming down to strike three, a one world government with an antichrist eventually. It's all in the book. God tell us what to do. God said, listen, I, I'm the apple of God's eye. I'm his sheep, he's my shepherd, I hear his voice, the voice of strangers I do not follow. I'm not perfect, there are no perfect people, they do not exist. So what happens, we start going through the process, we start teaching them parenting and marriage and stuff. I said, guys, listen, you did not marry a good person, you married your total opposite. People would come to me, and I had one couple one time, been married 32 years, and they came, they're having marriage problems, and said, Joe, we need problems, we just don't get along at all. We just don't get along, we don't agree on anything. And I'm sitting there listening. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to be funny. I said, you're perfect for each other. I said, what? Yeah, opposites attract. And so people said, well, we've fallen out of love. You can't fall out of love. You can fall off, fall off the bed, fall off the couch, fall out of your truck, fall in the ditch. You don't fall out of love. Love's a choice. It's a choice. You choose to be in love. You don't fall in. You don't fall out. It's a choice. And so people said, you're perfect for each other. You're total opposites. You know, if any two people are just like one of you is not leading needed, the Bible says. I didn't marry me. I married my absolute 180 degree total, complete opposite. They don't see anything like I see, agree with anything I say. They're a gift from God. God gave me something that doesn't think like I think. Know what they, know. they know something different. They think different. Two are better than one. Not because you agree, but because you see the problem from a different viewpoint. Marriage is a gift from God. <laughs> that was deep, wasn't it? Oh, not my marriage. No, no, that's a gift from God. You just need to listen. That's why we were given two ears and one mouth, not two mouths and one ear. You need to listen more than you talk. Yeah, that went deep. So, uh, let's do this real quick. Um, Jesus was born on this planet, born of a virgin in the manger, lowly. We just got through singing all the songs. I love, I play Christmas music year-round. drives everybody nuts. And so, he's growing up. He's 12. Mom and Dad are going to go to Jerusalem. Now, they don't live there. They live about four days away. So they go to Jerusalem every year. They pass over a festival. It's eight days. They go down there. Jesus is 12. And the story picks up in Luke 2. He's 12 years old in the story. By this time, Mary's had two or three other kids. So there's, he's probably got three siblings. So they go down there. Festival's eight days long. Then they go home. Well, it's like a family reunion. They're going to go home. And so uh, it's, a, it's a caravan. You didn't have uh, state police. You travel in a caravan to protect yourself from thugs and thieves and robbers on the road. You camp together. You travel together. So they leave, just like any family reunion. Where are the kids at? I don't know. They're here somewhere. They'll be ready when we leave, you know. And so they left. And so they went about four hours from Jerusalem. It ended at noon, eight-day festival. They make camp. You got donkeys and camels. And you got poop and fires and people trying to cook dinner. You're trying to get ready for dark. There's no Coleman lanterns. You got to be in bed before it gets dark. So they're down there in bed. 
And so Mary's getting ready to call. She's fixing to, Joseph, get the boys near. It's time to eat. Joseph gets the boys in. No Jesus. She says, where's Jesus at? I don't know. I'll holler for him. Go get him. He disappears. Long story short, you can read it in any translation, Luke 2. Joseph goes back at dark and says, I couldn't find him. What do you mean you couldn't find him? Get him in here. It's time to eat. No, he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? Get him in here. No, I've been from one of the camp. The other, I'm telling you, he's not here. I think we left him in Jerusalem. Now, they don't record what was said, but it wasn't good. They yelled all night long. We lost that one? You lost, you couldn't have lost one of these. We lose the son of God. You've lost the son of God. What kind of father are you? What kind of mother? And it was nasty. So you had to wait till the sun came up because there's no ray of that flashlight. Sun comes up. They hand the kids off to some cousins and they hoof it back to town. It's a four-hour hoof back to town. For three days, they're looking for the son of God. You know, silent night, holding out. We teach for our, they're looking for the son of God. Hey, have you seen it? There's no photograph. Hey, have you seen this kid? He's about this high. Kind of looks like this. And Jerusalem, it was a big place, and they can't find him. Three days later, they realize, we've lost the Son of God. We can't find him. And they're just sitting there thinking, where did we not look? We've been to every bowling alley, every pool hall, every movie theater. Where's a the 12-year-old kid go? And I'm sure Joe said, well, we've not looked in the temple. You know, he's not normal. I said, I go down to the temple, and there he sits. They said, Jesus is in there, and he's astounding the scribes and the leaders of the temple with his knowledge and his questions. And so Mary goes in, and it's really good in New Living. Mary says, why have you done this to your father now? Of course, the moms get mad. They always drag the dad in on the thing. Why have you done this to your father now? He said, and he said, he said in the King James, know ye not, I need to be about my father's business. Look, Mom, I don't know what you've got to do. I'm here for a reason. There's stuff I need to be doing. And they took him home, and they just stored those things in the heart. Well, eventually, Jesus becomes an adult, takes over the carpentry business, you know, and he goes out in the wilderness, you know, he gets water baptized by that crazy camel hair bug eating Baptist, dunks him out of the water, comes up, heaven opens up, you're my son. So he goes out in the wilderness to scruff against the devil. The devil's been looking for Jesus since the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God told the devil, one day I'm going to come in the flesh, I will take back this planet you just stole from Adam and Eve. A human lost it, a human's got to get it back. God had to come as a human. And whatever Jesus did, he did as a human. If, God, if Jesus did anything as God, he cheated. If Jesus did anything on this planet as God, he cheated. A man lost it. A man had to get it back. Ooh, that's deep. That's a whole theology for us right there. So, goes out in the wilderness. Three times he hits the devil. It is written, it is written, it is written. He comes back to the temple. It just has to be his day to read. They took turns reading. It's the Sabbath. Hey, Jesus, good to see you. I mean, he's there. He's a regular. He owns a local carpentry shop. He's a local. He owns the Home Depot in town. You need anything from Jesus? He's the Home Depot. Everybody knew Jesus. He builds your furniture, your boat mass, your door frames. And so it's his turn to read. He reads the scroll from Isaiah about, you know, uh, I'm the one, basically. I'm going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. When he sat back down, every, every synagogue has an embroidered chair in it. That's where nobody sits. That's where Messiah will sit when he comes back. We just got back from Jerusalem about several months ago. This is my third trip. Every synagogue in the world has an embroidered chair right in front of the pulpit. Nobody sits there. That's for Messiah. When Jesus finished reading that scroll, they didn't have any seats except for that one. Jesus went back when he sat down in that chair. He said, today is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He just realized, I'm 30 and I just realized, I'm him. I know who I am. I know why I'm here. I'm him. There's a question. It goes, in Luke 4, it picks up with two men talking. You're, in any translation, you can read the story. Two men are talking. I said, what did he just say? He said, he was the one. He's sitting in the chair. 
The one what? He said he's the Messiah. He's sitting in the chair. They're just listening to him talk. He said, he can't be the one. That's Jesus. You know, he owns the whole Home Depot. And they looked at him, and it said all of a sudden, a mob jumped to their feet. A riot broke out, and they mobbed Jesus, drug him out of the chair, drug him to the end of town. They're going to shove him off a cliff. You're not the son of God. You're the local Home Depot guy. You're not the son. And nobody believed him. And it was on. And that's why every time Jesus did a miracle, the first thing Jesus ever said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when he did something for somebody, the first thing he said, shh, don't tell anybody. Shh, I'm not a billboard. I'm God. I'm here to do this one-on-one. I'm to minister one-on-one to everybody. So what happens when you get born on this planet, there's a book in heaven with every name of everybody that's ever been born. Uh, people used to teach all the time, well, when you get saved, some angels wrote your name down the Lamb's Book of Life. No, your name's always been in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus' blood died for everybody. The Bible has eight scriptures about your name being blotted out. There are no scriptures about your name being written down, but there are eight scriptures about your name being blotted out. Somebody is eventually going to cancel their reservation. You don't earn your way to heaven. It's a gift from God, but a gift has to be received. You have to receive the gift. It's free, but you do have to take it. You do have to receive salvation. And the way you do that, you know, you know, Romans 10, 8, 9, 10, you're talking about, I, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for me, and God raised from the dead. How do you get saved? I believed it, and I said it with my mouth. What, you have to fast or pray or shave your head or suck rug? No, I just prayed, and I got saved. God's a good God. We live in the greatest time of human history for whatever God has allowed us to be alive in the last days. And so here we are, the greatest, pe- greatest nation, the greatest time of history. It's an honor to be here. Now, what happens if you're not in church on a regular basis, hanging out with saints, reading your Bible, you're just listening to the news. You know, when I grew up, the news was only on 30 minutes a day, 5 to 5.30, Walter Cronkite, who saved America. And so, but now it's on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on seven different channels. And the one station I kind of watch every now and then is kind of conservative, they pull it all the time. Hey, some new hell has just happened. We'll be right back after this commercial. Stay tuned for some new hell that just broke. And we're glued to it. We're not glued to this. We're glued to the world. What are we feeding on? The world. What are we listening to? The world. Well, you're going to be like the world if you do that long enough. You'll become on what you feed on. Now, if you just read one proverb a day, just one verse of one proverb a day, just one verse a day, just one verse of a proverb, you'll change the world. This thing's loaded with power. God will watch over his word. Not CNN, not Fox News. God watched over his word. What would they defeat on it? That's where our weapon comes from. The devil is terrified of the word of God in our heart coming out of our mouth. So I don't care how long you've been married or what your kids are going through. Uh, we've got all the power we need. As long as God will show up, he's already here. God's never left us. He won't forsake us. He's just waiting on us to say something. I'm going to start saying, I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I'm going to say so. Let the weak sound strong. Let the poor sound rich. Call those things to be not as though they are. So I said all the time, my family is a blessed family. We're the head, not the tail, above but not beneath. We're surrounded with a shield of divine favor. People like us, they don't even know why. And I used to get on my kids. They'd, say, they'd just say the dumbest stuff. Well, coach won't play me. And teacher doesn't like me. Teacher won't pass. Say, shut your face up. Who are you, child of God? Say what God said. So I'd make them say it right in front. I'd make them yell it. My teacher likes me. My teacher likes me. I don't think they do, but I say it. My teacher likes me. My coach is going to play me. They won't, but they shut your face. And you say what God says. I had one daughter got laid off. She was, well, she didn't get laid off. She had a great job. She got, a, she got her accounting degree from college. 
She's an accountant with a very big bank in our city. Uh, she went through five interviews to get the job. So she got the job, started off with a great salary, great salary. But she hadn't had a raise in three years. The economy kind of took a downturn, oil industry, whatever, in Oklahoma. And so I went to her house one day, and I'm just going to get something because uh, my kids, I have a key to all their houses. I don't have to knock on the door. You're my kid. I can come in when I want to. That's not right, but I do that. And so I walk in, going to get some out of the fridge, and I know she's sitting on the couch crying, and she's got her Bible open. What's wrong with you? They're not ever going to give me a raise. They're never going to give me. They said they'd give me a raise. It's been three years. They're lying. They're not ever going to give me a raise. I said, why? Well, I said, well, honey, they're going to. No, they're not. I'm going to quit and get another job. I said, well, who is it that's hiring? I didn't know anybody was hiring right now. That's interesting. Well, I'll find one. Well, you got one, and you're not going to, because the economy's kind of down. You might want to keep the one you got. Well, I'm, they're not ever going to give me a raise. So far, I got mad. I said, okay. Okay, well, I'm your father. I love you. I agree. According to Matthew 18, 19, I set myself in agreement in Jesus' name. That bank will never, ever, ever give you a raise. Many people in that bank will get raises, but you, in Jesus' name, I plead the blood and I bind the devil. You will never get a raise. Yeah, what are you saying, honey? I love you. I want what you want. In Jesus' name, you will never get a raise at that bank. Yeah, don't say that. Then you stop saying it. Shut your yap and quit saying that. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things to be not as though they are. You've got to talk like God talks. You're not goofy. You're not weird. Just say with the word of God. God watched over his word. So anyhow, she got a raise. And that year in December, she was the employee of the year for that big old bank because <laughs> she changed her attitude because she's about to get fired because nobody likes somebody with this mean attitude. I don't like this job. Take this job. Shove it. I, can't, I don't want to shove my job. You shove your job. I'll take your job. I don't want to shove my job. So watch what you say about where you work and, and your government and your state and your town. Uh, we're the redeemed of the Lord. We're the salt and light of this planet. Let's start acting out. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. I got two books up there you really ought to pick up. This is, uh, this is the one we had on marriage. You don't find a great marriage, you build one. Nobody find, nobody got, you got lucky you married somebody nice. There are no nice people. There's people that need Jesus really bad. You build a marriage. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church to the gates of hell and not prevail against it. Jesus didn't find a church. He built a church out of thumb-sucking, hell-bound sinners. It's a really neat, neat idea. So, well, I married the wrong person. No, you married your perfect opposite. Just get busy working on the one you got. Don't like this. God knows how to raise your kids if you don't. I didn't know how to raise my kids. I messed them up pretty bad, and I finally realized, you know, I might want to start doing what God said, and it turned out really good. God's a good God. Amen. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Father, we declare today that we are your sheep, you are a shepherd, and we're going to hear your voice and the voice of a stranger. We're not going to follow. We commit this year in your hands. We say, Father, by faith, this will be the greatest year of our lives. Father, you're going to make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from us. You're going to order our steps, direct our paths. We are surrounded with divine favor, people like us, and they don't even know why. We are the redeemed of the Lord, and we say so in Jesus' name. Amen. Every head bowed just for one short minute. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Two questions. Are you here this morning? You say, Joe, I do not know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've never, ever asked him in my heart, but God's been dealing with me, and I think I'd like to do something about that this morning. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. Men don't save men. God saves men. But that you in just a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you to raise your hand, wave it at me, and put it right back down. I'm going to see it. God's going to see it. 
If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. Old things will pass away. All things will become new. God will make you a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you're here today and say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But I've been stirred this morning. I like to get serious with God. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray with these other people out of Romans. And God said he will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. He will take your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will put it in the depths of the sea. There will be no record of your sin in heaven, and God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever he stole from you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Joe, I need to get born again this morning. Would you pray for me? Or, Joe, that's me. I just want to rededicate my life. That's you. Either one right now. Would you simply get your hand up, wave it at me, put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. I want to know I'm right with God before I leave this building. Thank you. Thank you. And here's what we do. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to lead you in the confession. Everybody's going to say it. doesn't matter who raised their hand or who did. We're going to say this together. Say this after me. Heavenly Father, everybody. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me, and you raised him from the dead. Right now, I confess him as my Lord and as my Savior. I do believe he is the Lord of lords, and the King of Kings. I thank you for him in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen, guys. God bless.